All right, Dr. Justin Ross, thanks for coming on the show today. Oh, Matt, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. This is one of the most aesthetically pleasing backgrounds. It almost looks fake. You're in your backyard. <laughs> it looks fantastic. I'm in a toy-filled basement, and you, on the other hand, are just like you're just living life to the fullest over there. <laughs> well, you know, I'm in Denver in my backyard, and we've had so much rain and moisture this spring and summer that everything is lush and full and green. And, and typically... By now, things are starting to brown out and, and dry out. So this is a this is an aberration of seasons based on moisture, for sure. I love it. All right, so we're going to be doing um, a couple of different topics today. Just about like not just not only mental health, but just like sports specific how to approach things uh, in our sport that are going to vary pretty wildly. So again, in no particular order, just so the audience is aware about what's ahead, kind of the benefits of racing consistently, getting over a tough performance in an A race, especially when it's a marathon where you can't just sign up for another one the next week or so, making the most of a workout that isn't going to your expectations or meeting your expectations. And just thoughts on goal setting, big, hairy, audacious goals, the positives and negative ways of approaching those or just different ways to approach goal setting. I would say, consider, well, actually, before we get into the first question, if you wouldn't mind doing a quick little one minute bio, like I said, uh, in our, in our pre, our, kind of like our little before I press record uh, conversation, I like, especially with doctors, have them introduce themselves a little bit because I inevitably screw that part up. So if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> Yeah, man, I'm, I'm happy to. So, uh, yeah, my name is Justin. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist in Denver, Colorado, and I specialize in human performance um, and the psychology behind human performance. Um, so I spend a lot of my time working with athletes and teams, um, a lot on the endurance side to work on just making sure mental health is where it should be in terms of being a healthy, happy human being, but also in understanding those high performance standards and being able to train effectively and race well. Uh, I'm a vetted provider in both the NFL and the NBA, so I've spent some time and, and energy um, with those teams and organizations. Uh, but really, my passion is working with endurance athletes, um, mainly because I identify as, as one myself. So I'm a 12-time marathon finisher, uh, six BQs in there, um, and now spending a lot of my time focused back in cycling. So I spend most of my time on the bike these days. I love that. Well, having that endurance side is really helpful, especially with... Just like the the nomenclature and you know understanding the terminology, right? I had a especially with people who come on here who are physical therapists. Like we talk about this all the time. It's like having a running PT helps so much when you talk about like, hey, I was doing a workout. Like, well, what does that mean? Like every sport uses that term, but what does it mean? Every sport, you know, means that differently, right? So right. having someone who has lived and breathed um, the endurance, especially the endurance side, especially the, the running side can be really helpful. So let's just get right into it because tis the season for tough workouts, right? We're all living in, you know, it's, we're recording this on July 10th. It's going to be hot and humid where anyone, where everyone is. And that can make running very tricky, especially when it comes to the workout setting. So let's dive into that question. But like what, how should, or how can people approach their workouts, I guess, proactively and in the moment so that if things aren't progressing well, they can still make the most of it and not necessarily like shut it down or start to mail it in or basically in short, do things that they're going to regret doing later. Yeah. It's such a great question and, and a really important one. And I think it extends really year round for a lot of us, but especially in the summer when it's hot and it's muggy and, um, and, and running in ideal conditions is often very unlikely. So the, the first question I'll often 
have people think about is how are you basing the structure of your of your training? And for me, the starting point is you're either basing it on psychological attachment to metrics, which I'll talk about in a second, or you're basing it on a true understanding of what physiologically occurs in terms of adaptation and growing stronger. Now, what gets people into so much trouble and frustration and consternation is when they set up their workouts based on their idea of how things should be or their idea of paces. And so I have so many people, will, they'll come and they'll tell me like, oh, my easy pace is, let's call it 10 minutes per mile. Great, how'd you come up with that, right? Well, it's just, it's just what my easy pace is. Oh, well, we have no understanding of what's happening physiologically for you. Maybe that is a true zone two effort. Maybe that's zone five. Maybe that's zone one. We don't know what that's based on. And yet if your mind is telling you my recovery efforts have to be 10 minute mile or else, you may get yourself into trouble based on going out when it's hot or humid and it feels really hard and heavy to hit that pace and you're not able to do it. You're going to gain a lot of frustration. Um, I've got athletes all over the country right now and some of them who are training in Arizona. This is, we talk about this all the time. Right? You are not going to run your marathon pace in a long run in the middle of summer in Arizona. You need to run slower. Right, You need to have an understanding that running slower doesn't mean that you are slow. It means that you're giving your body what it needs to physiologically grow stronger, to hit time in those zones so that you can race effectively when, when it's fall. Right. So setting so setting the barometer for expectations going into it is that that's a great point of like, okay, well, before you get into this, how are you even setting the parameters for this? Right. So say say someone's even coached, right? So say you're working with an athlete who's working with an established coach and they're attentive in their training, um, and are are giving them a range of paces that would be, you know, doable for them on a normal day, right? And all of a sudden Things just aren't going great, right? So even if like the expectations are perfectly aligned, and it's just one of those days, man, it's just not happening, right? We've all, we've all been there. Either our legs feel like they were put on incorrectly, or we're breathing harder than we expected, um, or our heart rate is getting jacked up, or just something or something else, right? There's like, I'm not gonna list all of the possible options. <laughs> There's a million of them. <laughs> There's a bunch. But it's just not going the way we want, just physically, okay? Now. From a mental and emotional perspective, and I think I want to make sure we touch on, touch on the emotional side of this too, because that can be, um, you know, inextricably linked here. When things aren't progressing, especially early on in a workout, and we're not meeting those expectations, what are some of the things that we can do to help us through that moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think yeah. Step one is is your understanding: Are you training by mind or are you training by body? Right. Being clear about that for yourself is a really good part of understanding for yourself to set up the second question, which is then invariably something's not going to go to plan and you're going to have a tough day. What do you do in that moment? And you have to understand that that emotional side of being frustrated, being concerned, starting to be worried about your race goal, all that stuff is normal. Right. And so you have to give yourself permission to allow that emotion to come to the surface and to accept it as a normal part of the process. But after that, you have to make a decision. And I'm a big believer that the vast majority of times, sticking with the spirit of the workout, whatever the spirit of the workout is, is going to help your body grow and adapt. And you're going to give it the ingredients it needs to be successful in racing. But part of that is being to identify what is the spirit of the workout? 
if the spirit of the workout is, let's say, 10 by 800 on the track, like, all right, those 10 by 800, those should be hard, and that probably isn't going to feel good. Now, if you happen to be way off your paces because of heat, humidity, stress, what have you, you're probably still going to get some benefit from running those 800s hard and letting go of the idea of the numbers need to be the numbers that I've told myself. So finding a way to have that platform, are you training by mind or body? Are you able to give yourself permission for a normal human experience of those emotions? And are you able to continue with the spirit of the workout, even if the numbers aren't what you want the numbers to be? And if you can execute that, boy, you've, you've handled summer training pretty well. This is a great point, and especially if someone's on the track or they're running, uh, I think the track is a great way to do this. You can do this off the track as well, but especially if you're running distances on the track, what do you think about just saying like, hey, we're either like you're changing your watch face or we're just going to do like elapsed time here and we're just not going to be like, we're not going to be you know, marking the laps with the watch. Like how do you walk people through, you know, using these tools? like the mm -hmm. GPS watches and what have you in a way that isn't merely there for, you know, the, the archiving and the cataloging of the workout, but also using them as like, you know, the potential physical and mental crush that they are, or the opposite, a drag on potential performance. Yeah. I, I think there's a couple ways to do that. One, I, I, I'm a real big believer in having physiological metrics be a part of your training. So for running, easiest way to do that, heart rate training wear a heart rate strap, know your zones, know what each of those zones are meant for, how you train them, and when you're deviating from them and being able to scale back. That, that's an important ingredient. But I also think being able to identify the spirit of the workout helps you stay accountable. So for example, if, if you're doing a long run, and it should be an easy aerobic long run, the spirit of that workout is it should be a long, easy, hard run. And so if I'm deviating from that, oh, this feels really hard, right? I'm working really, really hard on this one. Then, okay, then you need to scale back and you need to be able to tap into the spirit of the workout. So the, the ability to identify that either as an athlete individually or with your coach is a really helpful barometer of being able to do that then effectively in your training. And you could, you could do this in just a really simple way. There's uh, the spirit of the workout is, is easy aerobic or medium, some type of tempo or playfulness there, or some sense of this should be hard and be really uncomfortable. And if that's your barometer, it's going to really help you uh, establish that when, when you're outside and, you know, inclement weather. Yeah. And I, it also like the word hard can get tricky depending on these situations, right? Cause, cause it, you can attach it to different paces, right? Like it can be, you know, a, a moderate effort could feel hard. Because of when you get attached, basically, like when you attach the expectations piece to it, like this is harder than it should be, can feel mm -hmm. hard as opposed to like using the word fast, where it's like, all right, this is fast, but is it hard? No, actually, I'm, I'm kind of feel like I'm going smooth, even though it's like, like objectively, you're working harder than you were at moderate pace, but because it's connected to your expectations, it feels like, okay, no, this doesn't feel as hard, even though I'm putting in more effort. Yeah, it's it's the inherent beauty of the psychology of the endurance athlete is our our psychological relationship with numbers. We call it cognitive appraisal. And we do this all the time. We, we check our watches a million times when we're out running to check with pace. Like, am I, am I on pace? And then we have this little narrative of, 
oh, it's it feels really easy today or it feels really hard today. But we base it on relationship with numbers more than we base it on relationship with self. And I think it's a disservice to our actual enjoyment of sport and our ability to train effectively. I think a big part of training needs to be able to, to connect to, oh, cognitive appraisal with my experience, not my numbers on my watch, but how am I feeling today, right? It's 90 degrees right now in Denver. And if I went out and tried to run hard, I could run hard, but the numbers are going to be different than when I'm running in 55 degree weather in the fall, right? Paces are probably going to be faster then. But the experience of hard is, is relative and one that we need to um, develop a better relationship with. And how about just our what what are potential approaches to judgment in these situations, right? Because part of that is like we are, you know, obviously judging ourselves based on what's happening, either positively, negatively, or we're just kind of reserving judgment because we're feeling fairly neutral. Um, how how is your how are your feelings on this? And does it change in terms of like, you know, it doesn't have to be does it have to be balanced? Like, should it's like are positive judgments okay, negative judgments not okay? Like, how how should we be thinking about this while we're in the middle of an effort? It's again, it's the starting point of developing a psychological framework in your life as an athlete. And the, the starting point is around awareness, right? So for me, one of my favorite sayings is you can't change what you're not aware of. And so a big part of this work is bringing awareness to your own mind as it unfolds in training. And it's going to give you all kinds of stories and narratives. And there's going to be times where it talks to you positively. It's going to be times where it talks to you negatively. You, you have to understand what that framework looks like and when it gets you into trouble. You also then have to understand that you can 100% be influential over those thoughts. And you have to learn when to push back, when to push doubt away, when to encourage yourself and be positive, um, and how to implement that, again, to get the most out of your training so that you can get the most out of your racing. You're right. So not necessarily just being like in the back seat and letting the, the self-talk drive the car. Right. But also not being, a, you know, I sometimes rail on like the David David Goggins philosophy, which is you can't just tell yourself you're a badass and you're going to break through walls and you're going to knock down every goal that you have when that's not really attached to reality. Right. You, you, you also just can't fake your way into making tremendous progress. Like it has to be disciplined it has to be earned and it has to be done um, gradually over the course of time yeah absolutely and i think the 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 part where i always wonder how i should be approaching this is how like how proactively i should be almost like gaslighting myself in a way and if and if that works right the idea of like all right can't i literally change my experience by proactively changing my self-talk and all of my thinking around this to so just like literally gaslight myself into a positive mindset and whether or not that's sustainable. Well, the answer is yes and no, right? I think you can change your experience based on how you narrate and perceive your experience, but you also have to be careful to, to, to gaslight yourself and to manipulate yourself into thinking that something that is truly painful is beneficial. Now, this is like we get way into the weeds and think about people who are running on an injury, right? And they say like, oh, this is going to improve my mental toughness because I'm running through pain. 
Like, like, no, you're running on a stress fracture and telling yourself that that's good for you is, is actually going to make things a whole lot worse. So there's a slippery slope to that. And yet, especially with runners, we see this happen all the time, right? Because there's a lot of fear in terms of scaling back or not running for identity purposes. And so they'll run through all kinds of conditions, which rest is really recommended. Right. All right. So assuming someone is healthy, right? So they're not injured. They're just having a tough go of it. I think the other, not that's not the polar opposite, but it's a different way of viewing it is what Courtney DeWalter has, has talked about her own experiences where again, running an ultra is different than running 800 meter repeats on a track, but embracing the pain cave as she calls it. And as you know, she, I love the visual of it. She always talks about like you're know, getting the chisel out and expanding the pain cave and, and being, mm-hmm. being in there, making the most of it and finding a home in it. And then it doesn't lessen it. You're also not out of the pain cave, but being comfortable in there and, and get to the point where she says she looks forward to being in there. It's not the perfect metaphor because especially if you're at a race, you can just step off. Like there's no, the pain cave doesn't have exitors, right? right that's the, right. the idea. It's the whole idea of what she's proposing. Whereas in a race, we can always just stop. Right. We can always just walk off the track or leave the race or whatever. But I, you know, this is a different way of approaching it than kind of the idea of like, all right, I'm going to positive, positive mindset my way through this. And like, yeah. not, that, not that she's an antithetical to that, but it's a different way about it. Yeah, I, there's some beauty in that that I think we need to, to really explore, which is I, I think often the idea of positive psychology means you have to be positive about the experience. I don't always think that's the case. I think positive psychology is the idea of like, what are the conditions that help with human flourishing? What helps us live a vibrant, expansive, connected life? And from this experience, I think willingness and curiosity are the two most important ingredients when it comes to exploring discomfort. And I I would even argue that a vast majority of people who get involved in endurance sports do so because of that opportunity. It's an opportunity to us, uh, for us to explore what happens when it gets uncomfortable. And if you embed that with willingness and curiosity, it's a much different experience than if you go into it with doubt and concern, right? And so I think the, the work for all of us is how do you become more willing to expand that area of comfort or discomfort? And what kind of curiosity can you take into that experience about what you're feeling, what you're thinking, how you can maybe sometimes just take another step? Those two ingredients are really, really essential for um, for all endurance athletes, especially ones who, who are trying to chase down big, hairy goals. Hey, folks, are you tired of the spike and crash and GI distress that comes with sugar-based sports nutrition? Well, it's time to give you can a try. You can energy energy powders gels and bars utilize steady release carbs instead of sugar so you don't feel the highs and lows in energy i use a scoop of you can powder every single morning as part of my breakfast also the edge energy gels oh my gosh they are the best they have that consistent fuel they also taste fantastic and they're almost like a liquid gel they go down so smooth without any lingering aftertaste in your mouth the top marathoners in the u.s emily sisson kira damato sarah hall emma bates all rely on you can to fuel their training and they're raising emma fueled her fifth place finish at boston with one edge energy gel every 5K and felt strong throughout the race without experiencing any GI distress. You can't award-winning edge energy gels just last longer than other gels and provides a more consistent feeling of energy, all with zero sugar. 
here's your chance because you can is offering rambling runner listeners an exclusive chance to try six energy samples for free so six energy gel edge samples for free all you pay is the shipping cost head over to youcan.co forward slash rambling to to claim this exclusive offer that link is in the show note that's youcan.co forward slash rambling for the edge energy gel offer also if you're already a fan of you can and you just want to save 20 percent on all their products then just use ramble code rambling at checkout to do just that yeah and it seems like the confluence or a combination of acceptance without judgment can really be at the bedrock of some of these you know realizations i think that's it right you have to accept and i think we all do at some point in, in in training or racing, it's going to get uncomfortable. I think we all inherently know that. I always worry about people who say, well, maybe this time it's not going to hurt. No, no, no. It's like a marathon's going to hurt at some point. You, and you I just have hope a lot it's... of acceptance, but I've also have an <laughs> equal amount of judgment, if not more so. Totally. <laughs> right. Like, this oh, is... it's hard. And now it's, and now everything is ruined. Right. But it's like, is... no, no, no. Stop totally. it after the hard part. <laughs> this is it. And, but what gets people into trouble is like, oh, it's, I'm allowing it to be hard after mile 20. But if it gets harder before that, then I'm going to just blow up mentally. And yeah, of course, we all want the hard part to come later rather than sooner, but not narrating it with judgment, right? Oh my gosh, it's it's at mile 16. I'm already struggling. Holy cow, how am I going to do this for another 10, right? Those are the moments that really get us into trouble when it's like saying, oh, oh, it showed up a little earlier today, I'm, but I'm willing. I'm attached to goals. I'm going to be curious about this experience. And I have this psychological flexibility and skill set to be able to manage that discomfort that leads to again enjoyment and connection to sport yeah for sure and i know in my own forays into uh into therapy the idea of acceptance at first for me and i know for a lot of people you know was like all right is this just like an excuse for me to like give in and give up like that, that was almost like tantamount to this idea of acceptance where it was kind of the opposite. Like, no, like you can't address the situation until you have identified the situation and looked at it, you know, for what it is. And then you can move on to the next step where acceptance wasn't like, oh, I'm accepting what is happening. And now I am going to like lay down for it. Right. As right. opposed to like, no, I, I've now identified more of acceptance as identification yeah. as opposed to I'm going to be a willing participant into whatever may unfold to me. Right. Well, it, acceptance does not mean approval either. Mm. I mean, you can accept something. It doesn't mean you have to like it. But accepting it allows you then choice in the next step. And often when we don't accept up front, that's really what we're fighting against an experience. And if you can accept it for what it is, you can allow it to be present, then it becomes much more workable. Right. And then you can start to have like those mediating aspects to it like okay like yeah things aren't going great right now but that's okay like we're gonna i got another rep to do and i'm not gonna look at my watch i'm just gonna feel the flow of this of this rep and see what happens i actually i had a, a workout um it was two weeks ago or it was a week ago and i thought it was just an easy run i can't remember but anyway it was either like the, the the cool down of the workout or it was an easy run where i thought i was going like 14 minute miles. I was like, this is a joke. And I just like stopped. I was like, this is, this is ridiculous, right? Like I stopped and took a breather. And like, I just like, I tried to do like a mental reset more like a physical reset actually. And it was funny. I got back and like, I don't have pace on my watch. And I, I was, 
got back, I looked at like the, the Strava upload. I was like, oh, I was running like 1030 pace, which like was fine. It was fine. I had this whole mental judgment cycle going on about what was currently happening. And like none of it was true. It just objectively, <laughs> right? Again, I, I wasn't having the best time in the world. That was true. But like what I thought was happening with my body wasn't actually happening. And I was, remember being like so like annoyed and embarrassed. Like, oh my God, like <laughs> everything was fine. What the hell is uh, wrong with me? Yeah, Matt, welcome to having a mind, man. Like they, they play, <laughs> it plays tricks on us sometimes. But it's like, it, that's such a great example because it shows the power of how our mind can just straight up lie to us. Right. And again, I think one of the beauty, um, the, the beautiful parts about endurance sports is that that's going to offer itself up soon because, it, you know, our, our brain, our mind is designed to protect us when things start to feel like that might be dangerous or threatening. Your mind is going to start to be like, hey, Matt, the side of the road is a lot safer and more comfortable than than running another five, 10, 20 miles. So maybe you should just exit left here. Right. So, and then it's our job to understand those messages and push back against them. All right. Talk about, talk about safety. I think this is a great time to bring up what happens when goal races don't go well, because this can be where a lot of people after the fact enter that emotional safe zone of like, kind of like stepping back. Right. So I've, um, even athletes that I work with and I've even more so people that, you know, contact me and stuff like that, where especially masters runners. Let's just, we'll, we'll go through a couple different, a couple different subgenres here. Um, but like a masters runner goal race doesn't go well. And I've seen this so many times where, and, and I've even done this where it's like, okay, I guess I'm just too old now. Mm. And I'm just going to chalk, I'm going to chalk up this performance to age has finally arrived. This is, I have reached the pinnacle. It's all downhill from here. Maybe it's not a, a sharp downhill, but like, you know, my, my PRs are over as is my goal setting. And I might as well just like fade into the sunset. Again, I'm being purposefully over dramatic here, but mm -hmm. we're all over dramatic after a bad race. So, you know, welcome to the world. So when you, so let's just talk about that, those people who have that response to mm -hmm. goal race gone wrong. Yeah. What are some of the things that you, how do you talk those people off the metaphorical ledge? Yeah. Well, Again, normalize that experience. It's, you just said it, and it's so true. It's perfectly common and normal for it to feel like this catastrophe. So one of the things that I do a lot when I'm coaching athletes is try to understand how attached your identity is to the outcomes that you're chasing. And what we often see is the tighter the identity, identity attachment, the more it hurts when you don't PR or you don't hit your, your outcome goal. And so there's some work to do there, right? In terms of understanding that and recognizing that it doesn't mean just like stop attaching yourself to goals. It, it doesn't mean that at all. It means with that attachment, it's going to come suffering when those goals aren't met. So part two is then, I think I'm a big believer that so much of this is just about learning. So like, all right, let's, let's be disappointed, allow it. You have permission to be disappointed. But what can we learn about that experience? And if you are going all the way to the ends of the earth and telling yourself that it's no longer worth it, boy, we, we got some work to do there too. But maybe it's like, well, what did we learn? What, what are the factors that led to that race outcome? Was it a you thing or was it a situational thing? I, very, very often we blame ourselves for situations that don't go according to plan when it's really an external factor. And 
in running specifically, there are so many factors that influence times and goals that we need to factor into the equation. You know, weather, as we're talking about, is a big one, right? It's really hard to PR when the weather isn't conducive to PR conditions. That doesn't mean you're a bad athlete. doesn't mean you should hang it up. You know, it means that there are outside influences. So that's part of the work is, well, let's take a look at, at what all played into this. And then let's think about what that means for future goal setting. Like, do we take another crack at the marathon or do we take another crack at the 5K or what do we do differently in your training to maybe get you better prepared? So do you, what do you recommend for people in like the 24 to 48 or you can just, you can lay out the, the time frame. It doesn't have to be one that I'm just making up off the top of my head. Um, for people to catalog their experience after the race while it's still fresh, but also in a way that can be productive for them in terms of like how to identify what what their current mindset is, but also like you mentioned, like figure out what potentially didn't go right. And I guess conversely, like maybe what did go right. And there's some right. ways, some things that we can extrapolate out that were positives. Totally. So I, I we usually just have people you take a column, right? Draw a column on a piece of paper, internal, external factors as you as you sort of post-mortem the race. So internal factors, and you could do pros and cons. And sometimes the you know the pro is like, no, I when when the moment showed up, I engaged in the spirit of what was needed. I pushed really, really hard. The paces just weren't there. Or sometimes it's the opposite, like, oh, I, I didn't show up. Like it was, you know, it was a 5K, but when we got to the last, the, you know, the last K, I just, I kind of gave in. I didn't, I didn't push it as much. And so that's the disappointment. Okay. External factors. Well, you know, travel getting there was kind of a pain in the ass and I didn't sleep well the night before because the hotel room was too hot and it was also a hundred degrees on race day. Like, oh, okay. So there's some external factors that played a role here. Right. So I think giving people that opportunity to look at internal, external pros and cons, things that went well, things that didn't can allow you to then see it more well-roundedly. We're, we're really quick to go into a race and that doesn't go well and say, see, I suck. I should never do this again. And it's like, whoa, hold on. Like there are all kinds of factors here. Let's look at all of them. Right. And let's sort of piece it together and understand. Let's take a little bit of time and then let's decide what's what's next for you. All right. And there's there's going to be a lot of middle ground here, but I'm going to go to the other extreme um, just for, for learning purposes. The people who maybe race like, you know, Chicago, right? And let's just say like there's they have entries into both of these races, which maybe they don't. It's, it's like maybe it's logistically impossible. But let's just say there are people who say race Chicago, race doesn't go well. They are super disappointed. That was their A race. And they're like, you know what? I'm running Indy. It's in three weeks. Right. So another marathon, I'm going to run monumental. Right. This is a great, a great little you know, thing you could do like Richmond and CIM or three weeks apart. But anyway, these sorts of things. Right. The, yeah. the instead of hanging it up, I'm going to, you know, triple down. Right. And I, I'm by hell or high water. I'm getting this goal. So let's do it. Let, let's run it back. Right. So, yep. again, I'm not just going to assume that these people are physically incapable of doing it. Also taking out like the you have an injury stop obvious part of this right um when you have kind of the other end of the spectrum you know how do you approach that conversation yeah so one i try to honor the human spirit first and foremost like look at how look at how important this is for you that's incredible right let's celebrate that this means so much to you you're willing to double down triple down and try to hammer something out in a few weeks love that two let's look at the risk reward equation here right 
have you, are, do you have the ability to recover and, you know, prepare and do this well? And if you don't, what might happen if you go into this and it blows up in your face? What identity factor is on the line then? That, you know, what are you going to tell yourself then? So let's iron that out. Let's prepare for that. And conversely, what's going to happen if you, if you go and, and you blow it out of the water? Like, how are you going to feel then? And then helping people understand what that really looks like, what's really going on here, right? And often it's about saying, uh, maybe, maybe you give it a shot, but you have to take, you have to take that understanding with you. Or maybe it's, you know, let's not run sim in December and let's wait till spring, right? Give yourself a chance to recover. Let's rebuild a training plan and let's get you ready for the spring. So again, the, the, the challenge with this is there's no one way, there's no right or wrong. There are people that are going to fall into either category where, yeah, like maybe let's give it another crack and others where it's like, yeah, it's probably in your best interest to slow down. I'm not usually in a position where I like to tell people what to do, but I want to really try to help people understand for themselves what they're really working through and what they're working on so that they can make an informed decision. Yeah, because the emotion of the moment can't is I feel like it's a double edged sword or whatever of like that emotion is a positive thing. Like you mentioned, of like, hey, I want this. I want to do this. Like having that drive isn't inherently a negative thing. It is a huge positive thing. With that said, it can lead to foolish decisions at the same time. And especially if someone's ego is attached to their race results for whatever reason, that can lead people down a path that maybe they're going to regret more, regret even more so later. Yeah, I think the, the identity spiral can be pretty pretty big sometimes, right? Identified race doesn't go well. I'm going to double down and do something three weeks later where maybe physically, psychologically, they're not quite ready. They go and they tackle that thing. It doesn't go well. And then they're in a monster psychological hole, right? Where they, they're really doubting themselves. Their self-esteem, their self-worth is really diminished. And often what we do instead of taking time to rest and recover and reevaluate, we have this idea like, I know, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to run more. I'm going to run harder. I'm going to chase another goal. So it can get people into trouble very quickly. All right. Let's talk about a different thing that I know pops up for a lot of people who listen to this. A lot of people listen to this have kids. They have busy lives. And that is the like the guilt associated with doing badly in an A race. And a lot of it is around like, hey, my family has, you know, like they have sacrificed for this. My spouse has done X, Y, Z. I've spent time away from my kids. And for what reason? I flew across the country. I spent all this money and I had a horrible race experience. And you're just filled with this regret and this guilt associated with other people. I have definitely experienced this personally and it's something that weighed on me heavily after the fact so uh, i'm not just i'm not going to tee up like a question uh, like off of that i just want to like lay that out there and love to hear um hear your reaction to that that situation totally well as a as a married father of two i i get it myself right i i know that um it's a challenge balancing training and race goals and events with life and family and all the other parts of our lives that are so important. I would almost in every circumstance, go back to the, the challenge that it doesn't only count if you hit your time goal in a race and we get ourselves into trouble. We, we think, okay, I'm going to spend all this time and energy and resources and money to go tackle a race. 
And it's only going to count if I run this arbitrary time that I've established in my head or I've told my family. Like, like no, that that's probably the smallest part of the whole thing. And I think a big part of it is what is it that you're modeling for your kids, for your family? Because you're modeling time and training and dedication and a healthy lifestyle. You're modeling how rewarding it can be to take on big, hairy goals and to pursue something solely for the pursuit of, of solely for the purpose of pursuing something. And you have this amazing opportunity to show your kids how to handle adversity and setbacks when they arise. So it's not just about the time on your watch when you cross the finish line. It's about so much more than that. And each and every one of us has a duty to not lose sight of, of that fact. Well said all the way around. And I think it's also, I'm not, I'm not a clinical psychologist. I'm just going to say that on the other side as well, like, you know, fun fact, when you run that PR, your kids aren't going to care. Like they just aren't, they're going to be like, did you win? If you didn't, they don't care. Right. right. <laughs> so that's, and also your spouse also, they care about you personally, but they also don't care that you got that PR either. So like, right. if you're like, Hey, if I had run that PR, everything would be rosy. Like I got news for you. That's not going to be, you're not walking into the house to like a bunch of balloons either. So like, that's <laughs> right. not going to be quite what you right. thought if like, that's what you were expecting. Right. Yeah. I, I think, you know, there's two versions of this. The, the first version is, oh, no one cares. But the second version is, oh, no one cares. Right. Right. It gives and you, I, it gives you freedom. Freedom. My, you know, my kids would always ask, um, Hey, did you win? And there was one time I actually won a local 5k and it was the same response after that question it was like, great. Can we go get breakfast now? Right. Right. That was it. Like it, like, <laughs> can I have moving, your medal? Yeah. Moving on. Can we hang out? Right. So th they are going to care if you are walking around angry, frustrated, distraught for days or weeks afterwards, they are going to notice that. And they are going to internalize like, Oh, mom or dad, something went wrong in their race and now they're really hard to be around right so that's a really important factor that we have to protect against as well again you have every right to be disappointed and to understand how that works in your life and the work is to not let that completely derail who you are as a human being right all right let's talk about goal setting because it's obviously inextricably linked to all of these conversations jim collins uh popularized the, the the term big hairy audacious goals in the book good to great that came out at this point like several decades ago um i remember, I remember when it came out it shows you how old i am um but it's a it's a term that has lived on um beyond that so i guess what are your thoughts on that the idea of the big hairy audacious goal and i guess secondly like if you're something that you're okay with from a goal setting perspective, how does it fit into the larger perspective uh, of goal setting? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, goal setting is an interesting topic, right? Um, I love the idea of, of big, hairy, audacious goals because they can be really motivating to get people started on something. The trouble is big, hairy, audacious goals require big, hairy, audacious behavioral commitment. Now, People don't always understand that. And so in order to pursue that, there almost always has to be a sacrifice somewhere in your life, right? And sometimes it's multiple. It's time, it's sleep, it's engagement in other things, it's time with friends, family, community, work, whatever. Like, is this, the first question is, after you've identified it, is this the right time in your life? 
which I know is kind of broad, but people have to evaluate that. And maybe this isn't the right time. Maybe it's next season or two seasons from now. But you have to understand that with those big, hairy, audacious goals come big, hairy, audacious behavior change. And your your life has to has to be able to survive that. I see a lot of people. So there's this, it's a terrible joke, but a lot of people who pursue Iron Man, we call it Divorce Man because it's 20 plus hours a week of training for six months often. And some people's lives are not ready to absorb that impact. And without the the conversation with everybody around you to understand what is that going to look like, these things can can create a lot of problems. 100%. I remember when I was coaching college basketball, it was the same thing. Every single person that I knew in college basketball, from a coaching perspective, was either divorced or were well on their way to becoming divorced because it was like it was all consuming to them. They had to be in the office at nine o'clock, but every practice, every game, and every scouting and recruiting trip all happened on nights and weekends. Tally it all up, you're never at home. So it was like, and I remember getting a mentor telling me, like, hey, you can either be a great coach or you could be a great husband and father, but you will not be both. And you just have to decide what you want to do. I ended up leaving coaching um, and I coach runners now, but I left and leaving college basketball coaching because the writing was on the wall. And it was true. Like, I look around I'm like, oh, my God, he's absolutely right. I bring it back to what you're saying. Like there is going into something with your eyes wide open is important. I think it also begs the question of like, all right, you have this big, hairy, audacious goal. What is the timeline around this, right? Is it, I want to, as you mentioned, you've, you've BQ'd six times, right? Like, all right, I want to BQ. Okay, when, right? Is this a six months from now thing? Or is this a five years from now thing? And that also seems to be, you know, a, a relevant piece that sometimes people skip over. Yeah. And I think alongside it is, what is it that you're searching for, right? I, I think so much of endurance sport, again, is a, it's a pursuit of self-exploration, right? What, but what are you searching? And I'll ask a lot of runners, athletes this when they start with me. And a lot of times they're like, I don't know. I'm not sure what you're talking about. I'm like, well, you're searching for something. What is it, right? Is it to prove something to yourself? Is it about the spirit of community? Is it about how you feel self-satisfied when you attain those goals? What What is it? Like, we have to identify that. Again, because what, what will happen for people, you know, pun intended, they'll hop on the treadmill of just running 20 races a year, right? I've got a 5K and a 10K and a half and a full, and I, I've got half of my weekends all year full to, filled with races, and I have no time for anything else. Like, huh, well, what, do you, what is it that you're pursuing if that's your lifestyle? And often the reason it's from one race to the next is they haven't really identified that question. And maybe you can get that in one event a year. You don't need 20 a year to fulfill that need. Yeah. And you mentioned before that the, the BHAG, the Big Hair Audacious Goal, is great for inspiration and motivation. With that said, training isn't, you know, the day-to-day -day training can't rely solely on you know motivation and inspiration ploys right there has to be a grounding in like the enjoyment of the endeavor because the inspiration is like you know it's like a lighter fluid like it burns hot but it doesn't last very long so what are some ways that people can also goal set around that big hairy audacious goal that allows them to continue with the day-to-day week-to-week of it all uh, in a way that doesn't rely solely on that that big pie in the sky uh, yeah. vision. 
Yeah, it's it's around identifying what is inherently self-satisfying, right? So what is it about whatever it is in that goal pursuit that you find inherently self-satisfying on a daily basis? That's I want to stop you there because that's so yeah. important because I think yeah. most people would expect you to say, find the, the smaller goals that lead to the bigger goal. And that is not what you said. That's, I mean, is that part of it? Well, yeah, but those smaller goals are really finding those inherently self-satisfying aspects that are sustaining daily, right? And some of it is like, I just like really, I really like being outside and moving my body. Sweet, that you can replicate that daily, right? And that has nothing to do with, it has to be 60 minutes of nine minute per mile pace or else, right? Like uh, that doesn't work, but I like being outside. I like moving my body, amazing, right? I like being a part of this community of people who get together once a week for their long runs. And yeah, there's some, some competition-ish, but most of it's camaraderie. Perfect. That is inherently self-satisfying, right? So finding those things are going to make whatever that bigger pursuit um, much more sustainable and, and much more achievable. But without that daily consistency or that daily connection, it's just not possible. Yeah, the enjoyment of it all, I think, is huge. And I think it's also important with like with race selection. I feel like so many people will think like, okay, I want this goal. And then they think backwards. Okay, then that means to do this here, this here, this here. I think that's important just from a, a general speed. Like you don't want to like run a half run a half marathon five days before your marathon, right? I think there, there's there's under, understandable reasons to think backwards in race selection, just like you would think backwards in training. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, what's what's the date of the race? OK, let's figure this out. Right. But at the same time, I feel like race selection can be one of those ways to really feed into this idea of like, or what really gets you jazzed up um, and and take it from there. And, and what I always tell my athletes, I'd love to get your perspective on this is like, hey, the longer the race, the more excited you better be for it. Right. Like mm-hmm. if it's a mile race, whatever, it's probably not going to be your only run that day. Never mind, like <laughs> the only run that week. Whereas if it's a marathon or, you know, God forbid, an ultra, I'm saying, oh, I say God forbid. I've, what a weird thing to phrase, but phrase it. But like, you better be even more psyched because you have to put more into it. And also the recovery afterwards is going to be more involved. But I think that's also kind of where the road meets the road with some of the, the enjoyment piece. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I mean, the, again, the, the bigger the goal, the more consuming it's going to be from an energy perspective and a resource perspective so if you're talking about you know climbing mount everest right okay you're going to need a lot of dollars you're going to need a lot of training time you're going to need a lot of time away in order to get that and if you live in a flat area of the country you're going to need to find some mountains to train on before you get to that goal right a mile race to your point is a mile race can be just as hard as climbing everest for some people if you are really trying to push it right but it's not going to take as much resources because it's going to be over relatively quickly. I think for so many people listening, the, the sweet spot of those goals are really in that, you know, kind of 13.1, 26.2, maybe even 50K type of area where people are finding the half marathon and the marathon, that opportunity to explore and, and to push. Now, the beauty of that is there are some really cool races out there. And so finding those iconic connections to New York or Chicago or Boston or any of the big six or whatever it may be um, can provide that scaffolding for people. Yeah. And I think oftentimes when it comes to race selection, besides just like, you know, 
location and cost, a lot of times people will choose races that allow them to go as fast as they can. Right. So they'll like, all right, again, there's nothing wrong with those kinds of races. But oftentimes I see people default to that as a major part of the selection process. Whereas I think finding fun, interesting races that maybe don't allow for that not only can, again, by definition, be fun and exciting, but can also give you the freedom to not have to worry about, all right, what is my time going to be for this and how does it compare to past times and expectations for the future? I'm I'm a big fan of there's a difference between racing and eventing and not everything you sign up for has to be raced. You can event all kinds of things and there's there's a lot of enjoyment with that because it takes the pressure off. Like I want to go run this race because it looks interesting. It's a cool part of the country or my friends and family live there. Um it's not going to be my fastest time, but that's all right. I'm going to go and I'm going to enjoy the experience. Again, the, the reminder for all of us, at some point, all of us got into this because it, it was enjoyable on some level. And there's usually this crossover period where enjoyment goes down and now it's a proving ground. It's no longer a playground. And we need to be able to understand how to get back to it being enjoyable. Right. And no one enjoys running more than an adult who just got injured. Right. I think if we can encapsulate that of like, how did you how much did you like running when you finally were able to run again, it's like we always tell ourselves, right? Like, I'm never going to take running for granted again. It's like narrator pipes and like they will absolutely take running for granted again. <laughs> like they right. will absolutely do that. In fact, it might be three days right. from now. Sure. But like that 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 feeling of it um, that once it's taken away, we're like, oh, God, I'm never going to feel like that again. But like we all, all experienced it. But like there is this inherent enjoyment when we're not holding ourselves to the fire like that. Yeah, there's another one of my favorite sayings, right? That the healthy person wants a million things. The sick, injured, or dying person wants one. Yeah, that's exactly right. All right, Justin, thank you so much for coming on this show today. People want to learn more about you and the stuff that you're doing and the offerings that you have. Where should they go? Yeah, my website's the easiest place, uh, drjustinross.com. I've got some sports psychology training plans on there um, on training peaks and final surge. Individual sessions and coaching opportunities are, uh, are available on there as well. Fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. Hey, my pleasure and uh, be well, everybody.